Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, blessings on you wherever you are as you watch today. It is so good to know that you're there and pray that God is a blessing you and your family immensely, and I wish I could see you face to face, but I I want you to know that by next Sunday, we should have a plan to announce to you for our next regathering, so we can look forward to that with anticipation, and in the meantime, this morning, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, John chapter four. We're going to break off from our study on, uh, uh, on the glory of the gospel the book of Galatians, and where there's some things we need to deal with over the next few weeks, and so we'll be beginning that uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles to John chapter 4, and we'll read in a few moments beginning with verse uh, 43. Uh, A hospital administrator was walking down the hallway of uh, uh, the surgery, surgical suite of the hospital when he noticed a patient come flying out of one of the surgical suites running down the hall as fast as he could with his uh, gown flapping behind him and so the administrator said excuse me may I ask you why you're running away from the operating room and uh, the patient looked at him and said it was because of what the nurse said well the hospital administrator said well what did the nurse say and the patient said that she said be brave An appendectomy is quite simple. Well, the administrator looked at the patient and said, well, so it is quite simple. That should have made you feel uh, more comfortable. And the patient said, are you kidding? The nurse wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the doctor. So are there those times when you have been desperate and you have felt this need to cry out or perhaps to run away? Or is the answer not to run away, but to run to? So this morning, I want us to think about this subject. Are you desperate yet? Have you ever cried out to God in utter desperation? Many of you have. May have been the death of a loved one. May have been sickness, a job loss, a wayward child, divorce injustice, a nation in upheaval over COVID-19 or race relations or violence and riots in our big cities. If you have never cried out to God in desperation or it's been a while, I would submit to you that now is the time. Nothing would move most of us quite like our child with a life-threatening illness or injury. Some of you know that personally. You've been there. Well, here is an encounter with Jesus where a father cries out in desperation. So the message is entitled, Are You Desperate Yet? And we're going to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 43. So follow with me. Read from your own Bible as uh, we read this incredible passage from John's gospel, verse 43 of chapter 4. 
After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Well, here's a desperate father. He's a man of status. He worked for Herod. But when his own son lay near death, uh, he did not go to Herod. And he already knew that his money and his status were worthless. He came to Jesus and with him we witness a miracle. Cana in Galilee is the place where Jesus changed water into wine at a wedding celebration. And he is welcomed there by the Galileans, the people of the area, many of whom had been in Jerusalem just days before when Jesus had cleansed the temple. And they were mightily impressed by what Jesus had done. And they had heard a lot about him. And so they welcomed him warmly to their area, Galilee. This man, this nobleman, came from Capernaum. Capernaum was about 20 miles from Cana. And he had heard that Jesus was here. And so he came as quickly as he could. And arriving in Cana, came to Jesus and begged Jesus. Now, the tense of the Greek there is not quite captured in the English. In the English, it looks like the man came up once and said, would you come and heal my child? When in reality, what the original language says is he kept saying over and over and over again, begging Jesus, repeating again and again and again, please come, please come, please come now. Please come to my home in Capernaum. Please come now and heal my son. This man was desperate. He was convinced that his child was about to die. No doubt he was accurate in that assessment. And so as you think about this desperate father asking Jesus to travel 20 miles to heal his son, can you catch some sense of his emotion? Can you almost feel it in just thinking about the situation? Maybe you know that kind of desperation from experiences 
in the past in your own life or maybe even in the present. Jesus' reaction appears to be one of frustration when he says, you won't believe, you people won't believe unless you see a miracle. And no doubt that was true of most of those who were watching him. However, for this father, it's almost as if he didn't hear the words as he simply continues to say to Jesus, persists in his desperate invitation to Jesus, please, please come to my home in Capernaum and heal my son. And would you do it quickly? And please come to my house right now. Jesus is able to see what we can't see. And Jesus is able to see the the faith that is in this man's heart that he is placing in Jesus as the one and only who can heal his son and keep him from dying. So Jesus tells him, go home. Go home. Your boy is well. Now here comes the critical moment. How will the father react? He's been begging, begging, pleading, pleading. But when Jesus says, go home, your son is well, he believes Jesus. The scripture tells us he believes what Jesus said. He trusted what Jesus said. He took Jesus at his word. And so he turned and began to make his way back home to Capernaum. And somewhere in those 20 miles between Cana and Capernaum, this nobleman's servants met him on the road. And they no doubt had enormous smiles on their face, on their faces, and, and they delivered the news to this nobleman, your son is well. And so the nobleman inquired, when did this happen? And they said, well, his fever broke at one o'clock yesterday afternoon. You see, it had taken this nobleman some time to get back toward Capernaum. And so one o'clock yesterday afternoon, and the nobleman realized that's exactly, that is, that's exactly the moment at which Jesus said to me, your son is well. And so the scripture then says that this nobleman and his household believed in Jesus. No doubt as soon as he got home and, and embraced his son and hugged him and showered him with kisses and, and rejoiced, he then no doubt turned to his family and to, and to the servants in the household and told them the story of what Jesus had done. And with the evidence of the power of Jesus standing right in front of them in the person of their son, the scripture says the nobleman believed and his whole household. So as we think about the title of this message, Are You Desperate Yet? I want us to remember what Jesus did here, his power, and what he can do in our own lives, in our situation. How many have to get the coronavirus 
for us to be desperate in prayer. How many have to die before we are desperate in prayer? How many more nights of riots do there have to be in the big cities of our country in order for us to be desperate and pray? How much more disrespect and hatred in politics has to be evident before we become desperate in prayer? What are you experiencing personally right now that brings you to the point of desperation? I want us to notice these truths about this text. First of all, desperation brings you to Jesus. Desperation brings you to Jesus. The things we often value, wealth, status, prestige, amount to nothing at a time like this. Hard times draw people to Jesus much more than prosperity does. The late Corey Ten Boon, that precious Dutch saint who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp because she and her family hid Jews in their home, said this, When a train goes through the tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And that's the call of Christ to our lives right now. Trust me. Call out to me. So what about you? Are you desperate about something? Are you desperate enough to call out to Jesus? It's the best place to go. In fact, the place is not a place, but the place is a person, and his name is Jesus. Tension is high in our country right now. You know it. You cannot possibly not feel it. Violence is prevalent. Tempers are flaring. People are without jobs. Income has been declining for some. Quite frankly, our nation is in peril. So are we desperate yet? That leads me then to the second observation from this passage of Scripture, and that's this. Desperation is very personal. Desperation is very personal. The wealthy, powerful man could have sent a servant to make the healing request of Jesus. But this situation with his own son being desperately ill was way too personal and way too close for him to send a representative to ask Jesus to come to his home. The nobleman went himself. It is a blessing to have others intercede for you in prayer. But desperate faith is very personal. It requires you to go to Jesus. It requires me to go to Jesus. John Calvin, the great uh, theologian, wrote these words. Faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. The third thing that I want us to notice from this text is this. Desperation cries for mercy. 
desperation cries for mercy. The father kept repeating himself in the imperfect tense in the Greek over and over again. He kept repeating himself. And it's not as if Jesus was trying to ignore him. There was a huge crowd there, throngs gathering around Jesus. And this one voice, this one man, this one desperate father kept crying out again and again and again, please, Jesus, come to my house in Capernaum. My son is about to die. Please come and heal him. He didn't raise the issue of his importance as one who served in Herod's household, but he simply begged for mercy for his boy. Are you desperate yet? The fourth thing that I want us to notice from this text is this. Desperation can bring restrictive conditions. Desperation can bring restrictive conditions. The nobleman thought Jesus' presence was required in his home in order to heal his son. Kind of in contrast to the Roman centurion who wanted Jesus to heal his servant but said, you don't need to come to my house. I know you're a man of authority and I understand authority and and I know you have the power, so you just say the word. You don't have to come to my house to do it. But instead, this father, with a heart desperate for his child, felt that Jesus' presence was required in his house, in his home. And so he tried to specify the way in which Jesus would answer his plea. And I mean, who who can blame him given the situation? We do that when we tell Jesus how to answer our prayers. We need to understand that Jesus doesn't need my instruction or yours, but simply what Jesus is looking for is my cry for mercy. Your cry for mercy. He will work according to His sovereign power. Are you desperate yet? That leads to the fifth observation about this story. Desperation can lead to astonishing outcomes. Desperation can lead to astonishing outcomes. Jesus healed the boy. He did it long distance. At the exact moment that he sent the nobleman on his way home, the boy was healed. And when the nobleman got home and inquired, when did my boy get better? And they said, well, it was one o'clock yesterday afternoon. The nobleman knew that's exactly the moment Jesus said, go home. Your son is well. Jesus has, Jesus can, and Jesus will work often in unexpected ways. And yet in this text, we see the faith of a nobleman who loved his own son with all his heart and placed his faith and trust in the word of Jesus, your son as well. And he turned and no longer begged Jesus, but he simply did what Jesus told him to do and he went home. 
and found that his son was well. Nancy Spiegelberg wrote these words, and and I love them. Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain, but asking any small drop of refreshment. If I'd only known you better, I would have come running with a bucket. May we come running with a bucket today to Jesus. The sixth thing that I notice from the text is this. Desperation is accompanied by obedience. Desperation is accompanied by obedience. Faith. I'm impressed with the faith of this nobleman. He had come with one thing in mind. When I go home, I want Jesus walking beside me on the road because I need him in my house laying his hands on my son to bring him to health again. But when Jesus said, go home, your boy's well, this nobleman's faith was in the word of Jesus. And he turned and went to his house in Capernaum. He trusted Jesus And he found Jesus to be true to his word. His faith was strengthened. And obedience brings faith. And faith brings obedience. And so desperation is accompanied by obedience. Oswald Chambers, well-known author to many of us, wrote these words. Faith means Whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. And we believe that in the depths of our heart. Now, the last thing that I see in this text, number seven, desperation transitions to peace. Desperation transitions to peace. If you've ever been desperate, then you know how that father felt. As he made his way from Capernaum to Cana, his stomach was churning. He was in knots. He was perspiring, not simply from a rapid walk along the road, but perspiring from concern and fear and desperation. I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to get there, and I've got to bring him home. I've got to plead with him, come home with me and heal my boy. He was desperate. But desperation transitions to peace when we believe and when we faith place our faith and our trust in Christ alone. Peace came to the Father's heart and to his entire household as he related what Jesus had said and said, See here, here's my boy and he's well and Jesus did it. And everybody in the house believed and peace came to that household that just one day before had been churning with fear and sorrow. Faith will bring peace to your heart, a peace that comes with a personal relationship with Jesus. The Lord will draw you into his presence and give peace to your heart. I remember reading a story some time ago about Booth Tucker with the Salvation Army 
when years ago he was preaching an evangelistic service in Chicago in the Salvation Army Citadel. One night he preached on the sympathy of Jesus. And after the the message was completed, a man approached Booth Tucker and said to him somewhat angrily, if your wife had just died like mine has and your babies were crying for their mother who would never come back, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. Well, tragically, just a few days later, Tucker Booth's wife was killed in an accident and her body was brought back to Chicago and carried to the same building where Tucker had just preached. And the funeral was there, and after the service, the bereaved, or at the service, the bereaved preacher looked down into the silent face of his wife and then turned to those attending and said, The other day a man told me in this room that I would not speak of the sympathy of Jesus if my wife had just died. If that man is here, I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken, but it has a song put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. Desperate faith becomes deliberate faith and that desperation in Jesus transitions to peace. So what about you? Are you desperate yet? Trust Jesus. Are you desperate yet? Call out to Him in prayer. I want to invite you this week to go to the hilltop sometime during the week. Go to the hilltop and spend some time praying. Oh, I'm I'm not inviting you to pray for the hilltop, although if you want to include that in your prayers, you can. I'm just asking you to go and call out to God. Call out to God in desperation and pray to Him and ask Him for whatever's on your heart, but also ask Him to bring healing to our nation, to bring peace to our land, to bring peace to us as a people. Will you do that? Anytime you want to, gate will be open. It's really hot. Just stay in your car and pray with the air conditioner on. If you want to, get out walk around a little bit and pray. Maybe I'll run into you there because I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. Oh, yeah, wear your mask if you see people. And uh, if you do see people and you want to say hello, keep your distance. You know, we're still in the middle of that. But I invite you to go and pray. Call out to God and see what He will do in your heart and in your life, in mine, and in our entire nation. I want to invite you to look at some prayer points that are about to come on the screen. Think about these. Pray about them. And then when the prayer points have concluded, I'll have a final word to say to you. Well, as I say every week, I don't know where you are as you're watching this. You may be right here in Belton. You may be somewhere else in Bell County or Texas or America or even another country. My question for you is, once again, this question, do you know Jesus? 
If the answer to that is no, or I'm not sure, then I want to invite you today to call out to him. Call out to him now. Declare to him, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. It is my desire to follow you from this day forward. If you do pray that prayer, let us know. Contact information is on the screen in front of you. Let us know. We would like to follow up and do anything we can to help you to grow as a Christ follower. Now, church, may I make one announcement that pertains to the church family? And then after that, I'm going to lead you in our benediction from Jude chapter verses 24 and 25. We have recently completed the elder selection process. And it's my joy and privilege to announce to you today that we have uh, three men who will be coming on to the elder body in September. One of those is Bobby Johnson, married to precious Donna. And Bobby is returning. He's served now his obligatory two years off the active elder body, and he will be returning uh, to the elder body, and we welcome Bobby back. But then we have two men who will be coming on to the elder body for the first time, and they are, first of all, Justin Guidechik. Uh, Justin married to April, and they have three girls. And so Justin will be coming on to the elder body, And then the other is uh, Dr. John Vassar, married to Karen, and they have two daughters and one son. And uh, Dr. Vassar will be coming on to the elder body also. You'll be seeing their testimonies uh, visually in a few days. We'll have those for you. They'll also be in written form when we begin to regather. And the bylaws say that if you have any issue with either of these men, then you need to let us know in writing given to my office, and we'll contemplate that and, and look at that. If if there aren't any, then just understand that John Vassar, Justin Guidechek, and Bobby Johnson will be our new elders, and they will take their positions sometime in September when we are able, hopefully, to schedule a an ordination service, and we sure hope we can do that by, by September And so we'll look forward with eager anticipation to that. So pray for Bobby Johnson, Justin Guidechek, John Vassar, as we as a church prepare to welcome them on to our elder body. Now our benediction. Bow with me, please. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you just want to talk to somebody. We're here to listen. If you would like more information, visit our church website at fbcbelton.org. We're located at 506 North Main in Belton, Texas, and would love to see you soon.